You ready? Ready! Then let the show begin. It's time for the PowerShell Podcast. The podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your host. Andrew Plaw. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the PowerShell Podcast, your weekly podcast for all things PowerShell, security, developer, career, I don't know, a bunch of stuff. We've had over 100 episodes, so check them out if you haven't so far. But this week on the pre-show, we have some cool stuff coming up, cool stuff in the past, and some cool projects. So... February 28th, we have the Gainesville PowerShell Meetup. We're doing an in-person meetup at the Alachua County Library at 5.45 p.m. We'll be doing lightning demos. If you're interested in doing a demo, feel free to message me on Discord or post on the meetup. Thank you for the kind email last week about last week's episode. I really appreciate everyone who reached out. I'll share a message here. Um, it was super fun getting to talk to Graham and like reminisce. And kind of go back and reflect because it's sort of been a, a while since I've done that and getting the chance to sort of rehash the memories with Graham and share that with you all was super, super fun. Appreciate whoever reached out and said, hey, Andrew, last episode was really good. So much relatable to my journey in many ways. Smiley face, smiley face. Thank you. I want to share a resource this week, which I thought was pretty cool. Jared Fawson has released his SEC 505 scripts from his SANS PowerShell course. You can check that out at blueteampowershell.com. Shout out to Jason Fawson. And the tip of the week, you know, usually we do these as community tip of the weeks, but I had one that I wanted to share. So the tip of the week is enable scripts block logging with protected event logging enabled. And this is super important. It's a great first step you can take implemented with GPO because when it's enabled, PowerShell records the content of all script blocks that it processes. And these logs can be viewed in the event log and applications and services logs, Microsoft Windows PowerShell. And you can actually read a help article about this. If you are on PowerShell 5.1, you can do help space about underscore logging. Or if you're on 7, you could do help about logging Windows or help about logging non-Windows. Check us out on the inner circle. We've got a PDQ channel with a PowerShell scripting channel. It's been popping off lately. Shout out to everybody who's joined us from the podcast. It's been really awesome to have a small group of people who listen and share things and contribute. It's, it's a fun little community we have there. So check us out there. And I wanted to share a resource, a module this week. But I said, this ain't for me. Let's ask the expert himself. So joining us today on the PowerShell podcast is none other than Jake. Try Mark Jake, as I know him on some places. Uh, he is a devoted father, tech enthusiast with over two decades of experience. That's like double me, so probably twice as smart. And we're going to talk about Jake's journey, security, impressions, transitions, PowerShell projects, how we got there, insights along the way, maybe a little work-life balance. I didn't tell you that on the pre-show, but maybe just a little bit. You know, I, I could use some advice. I know we're both musicians and, and like to have a little fun there. and. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, good. thanks for having me on, man. Like, so happy to be here. I, I, I think I told you I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but I picked this one up, up recently. So, yeah, I, perfect. Now that I don't started working from home, like I don't have a, a twenty to thirty minute drive every day to and fro to to listen to podcasts. So, yeah, you're there. Yeah. Shout out to everybody driving right now, listening to us. Have a great day at work. I hope you had a good one. But. With you, we are now coming full circle on the locksmith module 
all of the core contributors have now officially been on the podcast. That's right. And, Sam and, and Spencer both uh, showed up in the last, what, two months or so? Yeah. Yeah. And now we got the mastermind behind the project himself. Very curious to hear about how that transpired from your perspective. So there's an awesome module that I wanted to plug, and you mentioned you had some experience with it. So can you tell us what module that is and give us a little bit of details about it? Yeah. So PSPKI Audit, uh, which was released from the SpectreOps folks uh, back in mid-2021, um, is a PowerShell module that is designed to just audit your PKI configuration. Uh, they released it along with their white paper called uh, Certified Pre-Owned, in which they detailed, oh, about a million different ways to own Active Directory certificate services. And uh, part of that that they did was, you know, they released this white paper and then released the auditing tool first so you could fix things. And then they did a DEF CON presentation and showed how to break things um, with their tool Certify. So... Uh, yeah, PSPKI audit, if you're running ADCS, is great. Um, it's a little different from Locksmith. We we got some different approaches on things. Um, but yeah, my, my fingers were in there too. I, I noticed when I was writing Locksmith, I actually was cross-checking with PSPKI audit. And uh, I was in an environment that I knew very well. It was my former employer. <laughs> <laughs> and I had recently stood up a PKI with them. And so I was like, I ran PSPKI audit and it found some things that were marked vulnerable. And I'm like, this doesn't match at all. And it was really just a, a simple regex problem. They were identifying things that were not, you know, the, the original tools identifying things as being part of uh, domain users or something like that. And, and it wasn't, it was just that that, regex that it was looking for was uh not correct so that got me into my first pr which i had no i didn't understand what a pr was and had to have a couple of people kind of like explain it to me and draw things on a <laughs> on the screen of like this is this is how git works and i'm like Whew, this is a lot but yeah, so PSPKI audit. If you are, if you're doing ADCS, it is a great tool to have in your in your back pocket. So while we're on the subject, and first of all, thank you for adding that extra context. You did a way better job than I would have. But how does this compare to Locksmith? And for those who aren't familiar, what is Locksmith? Uh, Locksmith is a tool that we describe as uh, a small tool to help you find and fix uh, ADCS issues. Um, the thing that's different is that we actually provide remediation code for everything. So almost everything. Some of the things are still being worked on. Um, but yeah, it's that's the important thing to me. Like I was, before I got into working with Trimark, I worked at a small municipality where we had three staff and I was the only one that had any real interest in securing things. And I am writing tools now for who I was five years ago, right? I want to help that that one person that you know knows that there's more to do and there's more to secure and there's always going to be more to, to secure, but just doesn't have the resources and doesn't want to go read 
you know, 145 page white paper to get out the seven lines of code that you really need. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So that's, that's kind of where, yeah, it's kind of where it came from. Why, why it's different. I, it, I, I love in locksmith that we, you run it and by default, it just tells you what your problems are, but you know, you do have to do a little work. You have to type mode one, not too much, but <laughs> that will give you, you know, code specifically that will just fix these issues immediately. Will there be operational impact? Eh, possibly. We try to warn for that, though. So, yeah. That's very cool. So I think if you're in the ADCS space, and that's probably your primary focus, you may want to use both tools a little bit, kind of. There are, so each has its own, you know, there's certifies out there, certifies out there, if you're a Python folks. Um, you know, a lot of tools now have these things built in. I think there's some stuff in Inve that, that can handle ADCS stuff, Rubius, et cetera. Like they're all Bloodhound community now has it. Bloodhound Enterprise had ADCS checks, Trimark's assessments, we're, we're doing ADCS checks. So there's like a lot of tools out there that can do it. And, and I think it's like anything, you find the tool that fits you the best, right? And your, your method, the best, if you're a, if you're a small time sysadmin, like I was, I'm willing to bet that locksmith is just it's the one that fits you the best. Yeah, and I like that the most. Just in general, that move towards making things easier for the regular admin who doesn't, like you said, have time or can't go through tons of research to sort of figure out the best way to do everything. They're able to sort of get running and start improving things very quickly, which I'm a huge fan of. And I love what you mentioned about you know writing tools for yourself five years ago because that's a lot of what drives me and what I do. It's like trying to help out me five years ago, create the resources, be the resource that I really could have benefited from. So love that approach. Now, for those who maybe aren't familiar or haven't worked with it before, what is ADCS and why would a company roll it out? So ADCS is Active Directory Certificate Services. It was part of the initial release of Active Directory, so Server 2000 era. And it is a public key infrastructure that is tightly, and I mean tightly, tightly, integrated with Active Directory. The reason most people use it is because they wanted to enable secure communication between their domain controllers, or they're hosting on-prem exchange and don't want to see the stupid certificate error anymore, right? And so... It is an incredibly simple to set up public key infrastructure. However, <laughs> because it is so simple to set up, it is typically set up incorrectly, is really what it boils down to. Now, to me, if we're trying to fix this from the biggest angle possible and provide the most security, I feel like making that rollout of it more secure would be better like by default kind of thing, like out of the box. Do you think that there are improvements that could be made to ADCS and how it's sort of rolled out that would make it easier for people who just click next, next, finish? Uh, could there be flashing errors in your face when you're hitting next, next, next that say this is this is a problem, this is not secure? I mean, Microsoft's own documentation on first and, you know, setting up a uh, PKI says using the default install is not appropriate for production use. Doesn't say that anywhere when you're setting it up. 
it's you have to go separately over to you know learn.microsoft.com and and pull it in that way and and really so yes that could be done unfortunately to really do it properly it requires a minimum of two machines you know one that is oh hello balloons happy birthday <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the 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 uh continuity camera stuff still pops up i don't understand why but yeah um but yeah so you need two machines which is you know if you're if you're doing this quickly and you just need it stood up like okay now i gotta go do this other thing and the second machine needs to be not domain joined and it needs to be in a completely different mode than the than the one that lives in your domain and you know it's it is not easy pki is i don't think is ever going to be easy and I will say that the out of the box next, next, next install is secure, except for the fact that it's a, only a single tier. If if they could somehow, you know, stand up a separate VM that operates as your as your root CA, and then you know your issuing CA lives in the domain, that would be cool. I just I don't know how that would happen. It's a lot. It's big. <laughs> I will forever have a job because of this this dumb little research I did in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how it goes for some people though. It's like they they sort of specialize in something or really cut their teeth with a particular thing and they can leverage that expertise both in sort of learning new things but also like when you do things the right way and really build your foundational knowledge you can leverage that for a while. Which is yeah, really cool. For sure. For sure. But security is hard. And I just don't like the amount of things we have that are insecure by default, all the way down to like documentation. When you're reading documentation for implementing something, it's like, hey, this code is not secure. Don't run this. But here's how you get it set up. And the less of that, the better for me. And I hope we can see more and more of that type of thing where it's like easier to have secure by default stuff. Let me actually, I was chatting with um, Laurel's Carl, Carlsland. Are you familiar with him? I am the at the Atalanta guy um, chatting with him this morning and how it seems like a lot of the the issues that he and I see both in our respective jobs of, of really seeing the insides of somebody's active directory and just seeing how badly it can be done really is a testament to how well active directory was designed initially right you can take Joe Blow off the street who doesn't super know anything, you know, has some sysadmin chops, but not a ton. Stand up an active directory and it's going to run for forever, right? <laughs> you know, and I think it's been around long enough now that if Microsoft had just an opinion, you know, you're out of the box, you stood up a, stood up a, a forest, it's got one domain in it. And, you know, all of that stuff that should be set properly is set properly out of the box and there's an ou structure that clearly delineates tier zero one and two and you know all of these things maybe maybe i mean you seem you th you'd think more people would end up on the happy secure path making things easier for them right you'd you'd think there's uh, so one of my one of my coworkers, our lead dev here uh jared hate we back when i first started dabbling my fingers in the the development of our internal tooling he kind of made it 
known that one of his things is guiding the user to the right things. Not even just security, but just like the things that are going to make their life easier. Just guiding them in that direction. Not, not enforcing, not saying this is the way that it has to be done, but just moving along slowly. And I'm starting to really take that in. I like that too, especially when you think about like all the work that people do and have to be done and there's workplace stress that can kind of come into things. The easier you can make it, the better everything will be all the way down to less clicks on phishing emails. If people are less stressed and busy and stuff like that and more present and able to sort of work on the important things without being super stressed. Yeah, for sure. It's uh. <laughs> Just reminds me that I, I clicked on a, a phishing test email like the month before I left my old job. And I was like, cool, I'm moving to a security company. This makes me feel really good. <laughs> it happens. I, I sent those phishing test emails out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I've definitely been on that. And I've uh, tried to make an excuse too whenever I clicked on it in a previous job. But that's the truth. And I think security embraces like security, the community, and just general understanding. They understand that anyone can click on phishing emails. And I think that a lot of times with the sysadmin audience, there is more of a tendency to think that it's like something you can completely avoid when it is, I mean, humans are human. Everyone can do really well, but with the right crafted message at the right time, humans are going to react. I mean, we were, we were talking about how we wake up early, you know, sometimes to work out and, and that it's 530 in the morning and I'm scrolling through my email on my phone and maybe my brain is not a hundred percent at that point. So yeah, that's, that's why we, you know, develop defense in, in depth, right? Layers upon layers upon layers. So now what is security through obscurity? And do you believe in it? <laughs> I absolutely. Okay. Security through obscurity changing the names of things, changing the ports, just messing stuff up. I recently presented uh, two 90-minute uh, training sessions for a uh, Fortune 200 company. And in both of them, we had to have a specific 10-minute discussion about naming standards and how you should name your user accounts to clearly indicate what those accounts are used for. And I got pushback in both of that. Well, we were taught, you know, you, you make your admin accounts blend in with your normal user accounts, and then it'll be hard for attackers to identify who those admins are. And I was like, you know, you can just query group membership for pretty much anybody, right? You just, you can just see that. Uh, you can see things like admin count. You could like Active Directory being such an open uh, system. Like it's just the way it works. Um, so what you are doing by trying to obscure those those admins or whatever is really just making it harder on your defenders. You know. And so yeah, I I am a huge. I am a huge enemy of security through obscurity. The the thing that really got me too is is when I was studying for my CISSP and they were going through like encryption algorithms. And an encryption algorithm, right? You know every single step of that algorithm. 
there's nothing hidden and it still does what it's supposed to do. It's still protecting your data. So, I mean, that, that to me is just kind of a, a dead giveaway of, of how things should be done. Yeah. You make the lives of your employees and people responsible for maintaining and securing the systems harder while also giving yourself false confidence that things are actually secure. It just yikes. Yeah. I, I asked uh, Spencer, um, you know, I, I wanted to get a, a, a red teamer quote, a pen tester quote to throw up on the, on the screen. Cause I knew the question was going to be coming. And I said, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about hiding, hiding usernames? He's like, yeah, it, it slows me down. Like, five seconds you know it's it's not a reasonable speed bump at all so yeah well that's good to know i (laughs) well it was another like i first came across this when i joined my previous job and my my manager really just wanted to make sure that you know all the web servers are run on port 8022 and 8055 and i'm like it's just making it more difficult for our users to even go to the sites you want them to go to. Nobody remembers that stuff except for us nerds. So, uh, always something though. Yeah, but for sure. If you're dealing with security through obscurity and you're having to maintain those systems, sorry for you. Yeah, right. Unless your documentation is really good. But even still, you have to maintain <laughs> the documentation. Right. More problems. I don't know if you saw the the thing I posted on LinkedIn the other day. Uh, so we we released a um, card of backdoors and breaches. Are you familiar with that? I am. Let's tell the people though. Backdoors and breaches. It's a really cool security card game. Maybe you could tell them a little bit more since it's fresh on your mind. But yeah, I did yeah. see that part. So it's kind of a it's a tabletop RPG style, right? Where you are running an incident response, and you've got an incident commander who. Uh, kind of lays down four different cards. There's uh, initial access, and then pivot and escalate, and then um, exfil, and something else that I can't remember. Um, but yeah, you just kind of play this. You know, you roll some dice and see if you if your your attempt at at trying to reveal one of those cards works. And yeah, that's that's what uh, backdoors and breaches. Are. So. Forget where I was going with that. You, you, uh, Trimark oh, yeah, documentation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in our Trimark pack. So, we released a pack last month. Um, the we have a dude, where's our docs, uh, card, which is if, if that gets drawn out, you immediately lose three turns because the documentation was never finished, right? So, you don't know how to use any of the things that you, the tools that you have available to you. Um, and my favorite part about that is on every backdoors and breaches card, there's a link across the bottom that you can follow to get more information. The bottom of that one just says HTTP colon slash slash. <laughs> I thought you were going to say localhost, but yeah, that's awesome. So I want to touch on backdoors and breaches just a little bit more. So that's sort of like a tabletop exercise, right? It really is. So like, you can use it internally, uh, you know, just among your technical staff and like, hey, do we have this thing covered? You know, it's kind of like, a, you know, the MITRE attack uh, matrix, but simplified. Do we have this thing? Can we do this thing well? Have we had people that have had training on the thing, et cetera, et cetera. But because it's also incredibly easy to understand what's going on, 
you can bring in other stakeholders that are not technical folk and they can get a vibe for what's going on too and and you know what sort of coverage you have or or how things might work out in the real world hey can we call this person well we don't we don't have legal you know we don't have that oh that we just identified a, a gap right so yeah it's it's very cool um i really love the way that that black hills set it up as it, it really hits that middle that's that's perfect to kind of work with any any crowd yeah and i think it's a great way if you're trying to start taking more security stuff seriously and start having conversations i think it's a great entry point potentially for actually getting people involved in the space because i think so many of us one we don't fully understand if our environment is secure and spoiler alert it's probably not if you don't know and don't have insights or anything like that and it, when you can start taking things more seriously and you can introduce something like this in sort of a casual way like if you have a weekly or monthly meetup where you're just kind of hanging out with your team socializing we do those here at pdq i think every few weeks or something like that it's a great chance to get people in that mindset and to start thinking about actually what's going on because i think most people are just waiting till something breaks like it's such a scary thing they're dreading the day that something happens and this is a way to start being a little bit more proactive and getting more than just hopefully you involved in taking responsibility and thinking about things from this perspective i will say that was one of my first like before i joined trimark i I saw Black Hills have this thing about this game. And I was like, I don't even know what would be included in this game. You know, like, I'm not sure what, what C2 and XFIL means, right? Like, I don't, I don't understand these things. And, and the way that all of them are written, they really stressed. So going through the process of creating this pack, like Jason and Deb from Black Hills really stressed how these need to be introductory level like we're not getting into the the nitty-gritty of what a kerberos attack is we're we're not explaining nuts and bolts of how admin sd holder actually protects various objects in your environment right but you can discuss these things at a high level and then provide links for more information and every single step of getting them created really kind of enforced that that accessibility thing. And so, yeah, it, it's awesome. Go out and buy a Tromark pack, get yourself a core pack. We've got some fun ones in there too, like a bear attacks, a power station. Yeah. Why not? Well, why not? It could happen. Yeah, it could happen. And yeah. you probably wouldn't think about it unless you actually went through it or got this. And I think it's a pretty approachable thing. You could hopefully expense it and, you know, kind of sell it to your manager as you're trying to start making more of a transition to getting more people on the same page of securing things. And I think managers, uh, worry about that too the whole insecurity one day will be hacked they read all these news articles all the time big companies like microsoft being affected yeah <laughs> i mean I, I so coming from my my previous man obviously right now where i'm working at trimark like there's everybody's security focus like we it's not a problem there but previous gig it was you know managers being scared of stuff but also not being willing to like do the research to figure out exactly what was happening and i feel like that's that's just a symptom of of 
I mean, it's almost always under budget, right? We're always, always, everybody is under resourced. We, I've dealt with companies that are, you know, Fortune Five that are like, hey, we just don't have the money to do this. And how, if that's at that size of company, like, what, it, what is it at a mom and pop shop? So, yeah, it's a good, good time to be employed in security. I think it will continue <laughs> to be for a while. I, I had hair before I started working in security. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's fun stuff though. Um, I I think that what you said about the terms like C two and stuff like that, like those can be a little intimidating, especially whenever I was first starting to follow along the security community, trying to take ownership of our systems and secure them. Uh, a big part of it was like coming up to speed with all these terms. And I found that uh, once you sort of understand the lingo, you don't have to understand all the technical details about how to do it yourself and hack it yourself and all this. Um, but once you can start to understand that stuff, it's sort of fills in the whole picture of what's out there. It really does. And it's like you 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 kind of get you get your toe in, right? And you you kind of feel how that feels. And then you realize it's not so bad. And then a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more. And then you look back six months later and you're like, oh wow. Like I can understand all of this stuff. It's yeah. It's pretty cool. So and I'm not sure how informed on this you'll be but one thing that i've thought was interesting with security and particular from like the attacker illegal activity hackers mindset is that there's just this huge economy around it where you have people getting access and then selling that access to other people who use it for other things and it's like this whole huge ecosystem do you see that is that still kind of how things are is what i said even true I think you are right. Um, I I intentionally do not dabble in that world too much, uh, just because it scares me, honestly. But yes, I mean, listening to Darknet Diaries, you know, there's there's these giant underground marketplaces that are just uh, Darknet Diaries, uh, Motherboard, you know, like all of these these uh, tech related things. It's like anything you want you can buy right and and usually it's not that expensive either like it's wild buying you know a hundred valid credit cards for ten dollars or whatever it is it's like wow that is that is shocking i recently heard about um ticketmaster and the the secondary market uh for people buying because you can't just you can't just sign up for a new account and then buy Ticketmaster now and then and resell your your tickets, right? You have to like you have to have an account that has some age that has visited some concerts and then you're allowed to resell your ticket and all this thing. So like reselling those aged accounts is now a thing. And it's like what who who would think of that? Okay. <laughs> so Similar-ish question. So you maintain somewhat of a public profile. I maintain some of a public profile. How do you grapple being in the public eye while also being in security? I know a lot of us in that space are a little paranoid about data being out there, but how do you handle that, I guess, mentally and also in practice with your OPSEC? I'm terrible. I'm terrible at OPSEC. Like, <laughs> other than, um, I don't even remember what the name of it is. Uh, Consumer Reports has an app called permission slip that will uh, automatically for you go out and remove your data from um, you know all these data broker sites and and 
request that your private data be removed. Uh, and delete.me um, does the same thing, but they are, I believe they're a paid service. Um, like I use one of those services. I use, I use permission slip. Um, but other than that, I, I mean, I'm just not posting my address out on the internet. I, if somebody were to, to spend probably 20 minutes, they would be able to find where I am like without a problem. Um, same thing here. That that being said, the way that I do it is I I just I just try to be a positive person and just like a kind and and positive person in in all things and just not not try to develop enemies. I guess is really what it boils down to. I used to be kind of a jerk. I'm not gonna lie. Like I was not not the nicest person. And about ten years ago, just had some changes happen in my life and and really kind of changed the way that I approach uh living. And I have a daughter now. She's about to turn 10, so maybe that's that's probably it right there. Um <laughs> you know, and and just understanding that like being kind and happy and positive in the world and not like in a, a toxic way, but you know, everybody's got their bad days. But I think doing that if I don't make myself a target then the chances are are less. They're not. They're not zero. Don't get me wrong. I understand. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I pull it down. How do, how do you handle it? Honestly, pretty much the exact same as you. I, that's why I was like so stoked what you're saying because yeah, that's the exact same approach. If people really wanted to for some reason, even if I did have great opsec, uh, I'm not that good. They they would find something. It's not like I bought my house with an LLC or whatever you have to do to hide your address and all this stuff. No. I try to limit the personal stuff I post, but I, I know people say you're not even supposed to say when you're leaving your house and stuff like that. But you know, if I'm going to a conference, it's not going to be a secret. That is actually one thing that I do is I do not mention when I am leaving for an extended period of time anymore. And that's because uh, in 2017, I, I had my house broken into and they stole, oh, not those guitars, but some other guitars that I have some guitars and a game station and some other like things. And luckily I was able to retrieve most of that, but immediately, you know, security cameras and, and, um, uh, security system and all that stuff went into place. Yeah. Just for the ease of mind. It's so worth it. In my opinion, it really is. Except for, uh, I installed all of them in my, all the cameras in my attic. Uh, when it was 110 degrees outside and it was like 130 in the attic. I don't recommend that. Other than that, it was so a you very didn't pass easy. Out. You made it out of the attic, so. Oh, man. There was, it was touch and go there for a second, too. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going on vacation, I won't. But if I'm speaking in a conference, it is hard to hide that fact. So I just got to kind of roll with it. But I don't bring my whole family with me, so my house isn't robbable. We often have, um, no, we always have, so... I don't know if you can see. Oh, she's not in camera right now, but I've got a dog. I've got a couple cats. Um, you know, we've got a pool. Like those things need to be cared for when we are gone. So we always have a house sitter anyway. So it's not. Yeah. The, and my house sitter now is my father-in-law who is retired. So he literally doesn't leave the house. So yeah, bring it on guys. You know, you want to, you want to come visit? It's all good. Some of my uh, favorite memories, and hopefully my family isn't watching this, was whenever I would dog sit for my sister's house whenever I was a teenager and just get the whole place to myself. Good times. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. 
<laughs> I'm sure he's living that same life here. I know he brings over all his musical equipment and gets it all set up and has his, his VR rig is all set up. And he's like, I don't, don't have to deal with anybody. I just get to be here and play. I remember they had a um, hammock in the backyard. I tried sleeping out there one night because I just whole place myself. I'm a teenager. Oh, all right. Well, let's That's go back idea. in time. <laughs> We've gone on a little adventure here before, which I've really enjoyed whenever I forgot to freaking plug <laughs> the module and we just <laughs> moved on. But yeah. get a little bit into your background with PowerShell for automating things and then eventually your transition into security and how that all transpired? Um, PowerShell. It's a loaded question, right? Yeah, it really is, right? I was, ever since I started working in tech in, in the year 2000, so started, you know, just doing tier one support uh, for a cable modem company back then. Um, but even before that, like, I was just figuring out, like, things like batch files, you know, and just, what can you do with that, right? And uh, I moved from that tier one support job into a consulting job, actually. Um, but it was security focused, which meant we built custom firewalls, which was cool. Built them on uh, Red Hat. I don't remember which version, but uh, before they they split into Fedora and Red Hat, it was back when it was just Red Hat. Um, and built those on IP tables with uh, Strong Swan as a VPN service. And so, like, building these for customers and, you know, a basic firewall has the same basic rules, right? You, you deny everything to start and then you build up from there. And the, the guy that was sort of my, he wasn't my boss directly, but he was definitely like the gray beard of the company. At that point and i'm sure he was you know 32 or something <laughs> like by no means an old guy um and he kind of taught me how to do scripting in bash and so we would use bash scripts to pre-create these ip tables uh rule sets and so that kind of got me into like really automating things that were useful and sometimes I played around a little bit and wrote a bash script to, you know, vote for my favorite band on a website 48 times a second, you know, <laughs> like sometimes, but it just kind of got my fingers into the, the automation world in a, in a way that shows me that it's not just, not just goofing around, but this is, this could be fun, right? He showed me how to write log on scripts for, for the entire company that would just be you know, one log on script that, that handled everybody in our company. Cool. This is awesome. Um, and then I moved into my municipal government job and I was low man, but seniority wise, like I didn't have the experience that everybody else did. I didn't have, you know, this is my first time working in like any real capacity doing administration. And I assumed at that point that everybody else was like automating things because my old graybeard, you know, boss before was really into automation. And it took me probably seven or eight years before I realized, wait, nobody else is automating stuff. They are literally writing fresh stuff anytime they need to write 
a logon script, they need to write anything. SQL queries, whatever, these are all fresh every single time. And I'm like, guys, do you know that computers can do the stuff that you are doing? Like, so all you have to do is enter a few things and then it creates it all. And so I kind of took it upon myself to take, we literally had like, I'm going to say in the hundreds number of logon scripts at a company where we had 300 employees. And so I took it upon myself to number one, automate how we were creating logon scripts for people. Like, so you just, okay, they need this drives, these drives and these printers. Boom, batch file, spit out, done, cool. And then every time I, you know, started to research how to automate something, I was like, oh, what is this PowerShell thing I've been reading about? I'd open it up. I'm like, I don't like this blue background, but okay, it's fine. Um, <laughs> what are these weird commands? Like, they're not bash. They're not batch. They're not, you know, what is this? What, what are we doing here? And so I'd play around for a second. And then it, I would just, I would stop and, and go back to my, my old, old safety of, of batch, right? And then we, our, we were in charge of supporting technology at our municipal court. The municipal court revamped all of their recording equipment. And they modernized from, it was previously like a bunch of just hodgepodge kind of consumer grade stuff. But they, they kind of made it all into pro grade recording equipment uh, with like a giant mixer that had internal recording built in. I believe it was an A-track recorder built into the, the mixer with, and so that was, that was perfect for recording. You know, we had about eight, eight microphones in each courtroom. So all of that stuff got recorded into this system, but it was in like a really weird format and it wasn't being archived. And, and so I was like, I can, I can write a batch script that will take all this and rename it all and move it into our archive locations. Cool. And immediately, immediately hit the limits of batch. Like it was not even, you know, it was like two days into it. I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. So I'm like, okay, what can I do? Well, I don't want to learn Python and I still don't want to learn Python. Don't make me learn Python. Um, but I was like, okay, let's, let's go check out this PowerShell thing. And I don't know what it was about that project, but it was like immediately I under, something just kind of made it click that you know you're you're piping things from one to another and it's objects and the objects have these properties that you can change and like I I, I really don't I really don't know how, but it was just sort of like continuing to plug at it until I just woke up one day and I was like, okay, object or objects. It's objects moving around. It's not text. I still have to fight against that. I will tell you coming from the bash world originally, like, why am I not grabbing this text? Why is this text not parsing properly? It's not, it's not text. Yeah. Cool. It's a common struggle, I think. <laughs> but yeah, so then, so I did that. And it was great. It would, you know, ran, it was like a weekly thing. It would run, it would pull all these files out. It would reformat them. It would place them somewhere else. It would, and then make it, you know, 
provide a clear uh, transcript of what happened to the judges so they knew that things happened properly. And then it was like, I got a new hammer, man. I'm going to hit all the nails. I'm just bam, 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 bam. And so, yeah, uh, the next big one that I remember was uh, our company didn't want to pay for um, software to automatically create a unified signature on everybody's everybody's email. I have all the data in AD. Let's let's just do this. So yeah, created a little little HTML that pulled data out of AD and threw it into this HTML and saved it in everybody's user drives. So that way, when they loaded loaded Outlook, it was you know just there. And yeah, and then it's started transitioning all of my little batch tools that I had built over to PowerShell. And then created a, you know, I called it the OmniScript that you would run and it presented, you know, a text menu that you could then select all the, all the smaller scripts and it just built and built and built and built. Yeah. Nice. And then eventually you sort of made it a transition into security. So yeah, mid-May of 2021, May 17th, not that I have it memorized or tattooed or anything. No. <laughs> um, yeah, Sean Metcalf, adsecurity.org, uh, founder of Trimark, posted on Twitter, hey, if you're an ops or admin and you want to transition into security, DM me. And I'd been dabbling in that space again after 15 years or so because we uh, there was a... a um, a water plant in Florida that had been, yeah, right. <laughs> that had been, uh, compromised. And so we were, we were a utility, we had water utilities and our, our utilities director was like, we're getting a security assessment done now. See where we're at. And, um, like all the stuff preparing for that security assessment, not just cleaning up all the stuff that I needed to know to be cleaned up before, but I'd never had the time for, uh, but also just documenting and, and figuring out how things really worked and not just understand, you know, not just guessing how they kind of worked. All of that kind of really relit the fire that I had had for security 15 years earlier. Um, so yeah, Sean posted this and, and I DM'd him and I told him, hey, these are all the various technologies I work in and um, you know, I, I don't know where my next step is. I wasn't looking for a job, but I knew, I knew it needed to be something in security. I was thinking maybe transition to a security role in my current job. Maybe that would be cool. And, um, talk to him for a little while. And he's like, well, yeah, do you have a resume? I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not looking for a job. Like, well, give me a resume. We'll see what we can do. And two months later, I work in there and then. All of our internal tooling at the time that I was hired was all built in PowerShell. And I like took to it, right? Just dove right into that water and not realizing that Sean had written everything. I ran into a bug in like week two of being there and I fixed it. And I just, I pushed it to main. I was like, hey, I did this thing. I fixed this. And uh, somebody else is like, oh, Sean's been working on that for a while. And I'm like, Oh no, what did I just say? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but I mean, Sean's cool as hell. Like he was just like, yeah, it it needed to be fixed. You fixed it. 
good job cool i have no ego about this i'm like fantastic so yeah that's i mean that's and then shortly thereafter it was uh you know sean asked around and like hey we need to we need to integrate adcs checks into our our assessments does anybody want to take that on and i'm like well, I just stood up a new PKI at my old job like a year ago. I still understand most of what's going on. So I was like, mm, I'll do it. And now I'm the ADCS guy at work and locksmith and all that. <laughs> it's weird how life happens, man. It's exciting though. I yeah. mean, so it sounds like you were at your old kind of role and responsibilities for a while. Was it sort of like a renaissance whenever you transition into security? Are you more excited and engaged with your career now or... Has there been any changes in that way? My, my wife, like, mentioned within a month that I seemed like a happier person. Like, just, just immediately seemed like a happier person. I, you know, yeah, it, it's when you find a role that you are suited for doesn't feel like work i hate when people say love the love what you do and you'll never work a day no sometimes the job sucks right every job sucks but on the whole like yeah like i i just it's a renaissance like you said it's just it's a reinvigorating and and yeah really makes me just want to go learn new stuff all the time one thing I'm sort of hearing is that it sounds like you're empowered to do things. And I think that if you find yourself the type of person to listen to something like a PowerShell podcast, you're probably the type of person that sort of likes getting their hands dirty. But I think in a lot of roles, doing things like that is such an uphill climb culturally, technically, when you combine it all, you're having to work like three jobs to start getting things done in certain cultures. And it sounds like at your new place, you're empowered. There's a good culture with like not much ego, collaboration. And I think security at large, that community is very much about collaboration because the threats are so large. It just requires it. Well, it's shocking. Like, you know, I mentioned Spectre Ops. I mentioned uh, Lars. Like, these people are technically out trimark competitors, right? Like Black Hills, trimark compet like, but if we all siloed off our our information, if we siloed off like our learning from each other, it's not us that will hurt. It's the general public. And like, what kind of what kind of person are you if you don't it, don't get me wrong, there are still some people like that in security. But <laughs> <laughs> on the whole yeah i think it's a very just sharing what you know you know it is is such a huge part of of the whole thing um you know speaking at conferences and and doing trainings and like we do these things and in general do not get paid for them like you're you know yeah your your company may pay, pay for you to to go to a place and but there a lot of times the conferences aren't paying you to 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 give your speech you're just they just want you to be there to to talk and yeah and it's it's shocking so i i um i'm going to be speaking at another conference sometime soon that is not a security focused one and um it's about ed tech and like they mentioned hey you're going to be speaking so here's how much the booth costs and i'm like what like i'm i'm just sharing information i have to i have to buy a booth like well, 
yeah. I'm like, well, that's, <laughs> I'm just kind of doing this on my own, man. <laughs> it's not, I just, I just want to share information and they ended up making an exception for me, but like, I was not prepared for that. So I'm not sure if that's a normal thing outside of the uh, security space, but. Never know. I know some of these conferences, the bigger ones end up paying some good money to people who are their keynotes and things like that. But yeah, I usually stick to the smaller conferences. Yeah. Well, I feel like to the people that come to the smaller conferences, you're coming there because you want to learn. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to a, a B-sides conference in uh, like a tiny little town and it's going to be 50 people, like you're not there to get famous or to experience the the conference party scene. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's, it's just some people in a, in a small conference room. So yeah, it's, it's a different vibe for sure. Now you mentioned, you know, ops, this admin background, and they were looking for that at Trimark. Sean, you mentioned was looking for that type of background. Do you think that's a good background? I, I think it is. And I think I mentioned this a few times, but I know a lot of our audience here has that background where they've been working on AD or environments for a long time in terms of administering them, but then making that transition to be dedicated in security. Is it a good background? One million percent, man. Like, so number one, you really have to understand to be a good assistant, to be to be great in ops, whatever. You 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 really have to understand things at a deep level, right? You're you're not just taking what the the dashboard is telling you, right? You're understanding why the dashboard is telling you these things and and how these things are cre- being generated. So you have that. You also at least I was this way, figure out how to make stuff work, right? I know this is a computer. This computer should be able to talk to this computer. And yeah, they're speaking different languages for whatever reason. I know I can make those work. I know I can make those communicate with each other. That willingness to continue trying, like almost in a, in a, uh, almost in a problematic way. Sometimes, like <laughs> I know that I'm going to solve this problem. Either it's going to be me, or I'm going to, you know, I'm, either I'm going to fix it or I'm going to die. That kind of thing. Um, yeah, those that happens. But um, yeah, everybody at Trimark, everybody has an ops background of some sort, and at least ten years. Like we, it just seems to be the type of person that works best, especially when working with Active Directory, which is our bread and butter, but you know, Azure AD and, and, and virtual infrastructure as well. But again, like you know how to make stuff work. You know how to how to glue this to that. And poke around it, and figure and things poke out. Poke around and yeah. And you mentioned you know, sysadmins don't just look at the dashboard and, you know, that kind of thing. I think there are some that do, but I think that learning PowerShell or really getting the opportunity to look at things and understand and sort of from a bigger picture, understand how things are connecting and expecting to be communicated. Once you get to that part of things where you're comfortable really identifying, oh, hey, here are the event logs that this generates. Let me check those and see what's actually going on and or maybe check the traffic, like what is going on here? Check the packet. Like when you're able to start really diving deep, I think it's it's a great time um, because security is kind of confusing. If you 
or going into it, like for as a first job, I imagine that would be really tough. Um, I honestly cannot imagine like going directly into it. Uh, like I see all these, you know, there's the common common meme in in security circles about like, okay, you're you're getting an entry level security job. You need five years of of experience and a CISSP, right? And you're like those two don't really mesh, right? Entry level or you need experience. And it's almost to me like you just need to have, it's like that job should not be just called entry level. It's, it's a, it's a junior position, right? It's not an entry level position. And there, there really aren't any entry level positions in security is the way that I see it. it you have to have some working experience to even really understand the majority of it. So. Yeah, and in a bunch of different ways, both in how a company tends to work, both in how systems work, the context of the different services that a company uh, offers and how they work together and all that. It's a lot, even just if you're understanding the business process side of things with nothing technical. Well, yeah, like if you're in GRC, right? Governance, risk, and compliance. There are very few entry-level jobs on that too. You have to understand business management and, you know, supply chain and it's like oof. for sure <sighs> that side that side is scary I, I will say that i just want to i just want to type stuff <laughs> awesome jake well you've prepared for these i got some some curveballs to throw your way i am i am as prepared as i can be man all right First question, and please don't get this wrong. The people out there are looking to you for some guidance on this. I know it's a hot button issue plaguing all of us uh, currently engaging in social media. And that is, if you put an emoji at the end of a sentence, or sorry, yeah, if you put an emoji at the end of a sentence, where do you put the period? Before or after the emoji? Oh, man. I, mm, I'm going to be an after the period guy. Wow. And, and here's why. You went there. Okay. Here's why. I have I have a defense, man. After the period, the emoji encapsulates the whole sentence. Before the period, that emoji just refers to the word before it. Because I've done emojis in a sentence, and they're always directly after the word that I want to emphasize. You blew my mind. I wasn't, you're just next level. I was not thinking things that deeply. You showed me up on that one. I was just going to say no period, but the oh. fact that you have a choice. I mean, you're making design decisions with where you place the period. I respect that a lot. I didn't realize there was a secret third option that I was allowed to take. Well, yeah. you know, <laughs> there are all these questions are loaded. So Damn. All right. back to more standard questions. Okay. All that right, was, cool, cool. was a nice little curveball there. But so early on in your career, what advice would you give yourself? based on what you've learned so far and where you are now that could maybe accelerate your journey, maybe give you some less suffering or anything along those lines. Honestly, like ask for help, like to get into this field, you know, you're generally a self-starter and sometimes that self-starting really prevents you from growing at the speed that you're capable of because you think you can figure it out all yourself. And I am speaking directly to my former self at this moment. Like you think you can learn it all 
but there's always going to be somebody out there that knows more than you. Even when you think you know it all, there's always somebody out there that knows more than you. And admitting that you don't know something does not make you look weak. It does not make you look stupid. It makes you a person who doesn't know that one specific thing. And like, I didn't really take that to heart until joining Trimark. Like we have a very strong culture of like, I don't know. Tell me, I don't know. Explain this thing. And if I had had that 20 years ago, who knows? Yeah. So that's, that's exactly what I was told. And, you know, to tap onto something you said earlier about spending hours at the keyboard and, you know, you're going to solve this issue before you're done. That is a great mindset to have, but it needs to be balanced with, like you're saying, asking for help. If you are really struggling and you're not learning from being lost and trying to connect things, because there is a lot of value in spending longer than it could take to solve a task. If you're really learning it hands-on, um, connecting some dots for yourself, but Definitely don't want to do that if you're just suffering and you're, you know, you have to do work. And the best way is to be honest. I think as humans, there's that huge tendency to not want to appear stupid, which is why it's so helpful to have people in higher up positions or people who are respected who say that they don't know because it really sets the standard. And when you have that culturally, it's a much more psychologically safe environment to work in and just more productive overall. It's just better for you. And to me, if I see someone who's willing to, admit mistakes, I am more likely to trust them. You want to know, yeah, you can tell after a while if people are sort of, wait, do they really know what's, what's going on? Are they, it, it comes out. So you want to be honest for sure. That, that saying, you know, you can't bullsh, uh, bullsh <laughs> to, to censor myself a little bit there, you know, like eventually like that whole facade does come crashing down and why not just be honest up front? For sure. Because you want to be able to be yourself and be comfortable being yourself. If you create a persona or an image that isn't you, you are stuck in that prison. And from yeah. earlier on in my career, that is not a fun place to be. You want to be able to be yourself. And if there are things you need to work on as a person, that's fine. We all have things we need to work on, but you're going to have a lot more enjoyment and comfort in life if you're able to be yourself and give yourself that space. Can I give my earlier self a second point? All day. Get into therapy for at least a little bit. That's all. <laughs> like, even if you don't think you need therapy, get into therapy and do therapy for a year. Like, it's amazing. I, yeah. I completely agree. Uh, I think that the money I spent on therapy has been the heart, the highest ROI in terms of like life, but also career. Like when you're able to better understand yourself and how you interact with others and making sure that that's, you know, you're all in order because whenever you're doing well, you do your best work. And that applies to employers should be aware of that all the way down to you. It's your responsibility to take care of yourself um, and to vouch for yourself and advocate for yourself and all that. So, man, 100%. shout out younger us. Listen up. <laughs> Good tips. You got that time machine going yet? Or um, I'm still working on it. Uh, yeah, PowerShell right. <laughs> isn't quite there yet. Next question is, what are some of your favorite modules? You can go three. And if you know if you're feeling it, you can go four. I'm just going to do three because I, I weird thing. I don't tend to use a lot of other people's modules. I just, I, I, I haven't gotten into that ecosystem a ton yet. And also when I joined Trimark, like we were very much, everything is written in house. So I just, I did stuck with that. 
But number one, far and away, would not be here where I am without it. The Active Directory module from RSAT. I mean, honestly, like it makes everything so much easier. Try, I'm currently working on eliminating uh, the Active Directory modules from Locksmith and any other tool that I write, whether it's internal or external. And uh, LDAP queries suck, man. So it's it, it's they really did a lot of a lot of good work with Active Directory module. So um, number two, uh, our honorary fourth member of the Locksmith core team, PK uh, Shemek, the Evotech guy, um, did PS publish module, which before he rewrote. Or, or submitted a giant PR to us in July of last year, uh, recreating Locksmith as a module using PS Publish module. It was one giant script. And it was, I want to say we were pushing 3,000 lines or something like that. And so, uh, you know, working in a file of that size, it's just not fun. It's not fun. You forget where stuff is. And, you know, it was all broken into functions and stuff, but it's still like, it's not fun to work in. And so he, you know, broke it up into individual files and it just, my development efforts after that, like skyrocketed. Like I had hit a point where I was like, don't want to do this anymore. And then, yeah. So PS Publish module, it's, it's pretty great. Sweet. And yeah. And then uh, third one, shockingly, uh, Microsoft.PowerShell.Console GUI Tools. Oh, the yes. That, is, that creates out console grid view. Dude, I didn't know you were into that too. Let's go. Did you know I was into that? <laughs> no, I did not know. I love that. I love that you said that too. I just commented on Spencer's thing. He was talking about creating some GUI tools with PowerShell. And I was like, GUIs are cool, but TUIs are where it's at. Terminal user interfaces. Yo, so um, have you used the Iron Man software, their uh, TUI builder? I have. Okay. Is it good? I've, I have. I want to dip into it. I had an issue with it, uh, but it is good. I think there was an update that kind of fixed the bug I was having, but um, it's pretty cool. I love out console grid view, though, especially plugging it on the podcast, because like you said, that's a command that comes with this Microsoft.PowerShell, the console GUI tools, which allows you to very easily create TUI tools, terminal user interfaces where you display data and then run some command based on your selections of the data. That's simple. Yeah. We, we, so the reason I even found it and started using it is because all of our internal tools, like I said, most of them now at this point are still PowerShell. But like selecting the right directory for where the thing is and like selecting the right options to run this and yeah you can remember all the parameters but you know what sometimes it's uh early in the morning and i haven't had my coffee and i can't remember all of the things and i don't want to go read the help and i don't want no pops up a menu i select the thing we move on we're done right so yeah love it so good so good love to hear that yeah and and the thing i like to point to too is less content switching Right. We talk about making things a little bit easier, freeing up some brain space. And for me, having external windows and switching between them just adds more to it. If I can have more things straight up in my console. I'm down for that. I'm down for that all day. Yeah. My, uh, the lead dev was like, why did you add this? Is it because it makes it easier or just because it's cool? And I was like, 
a little from column A, a little from column B. Like, <laughs> yeah, so. I gave a talk on terminal user interfaces at PowerShell Summit, and it definitely just feels cool. I mean, retro is in again, and it just, dude, I feel like a hacker whenever I'm like in my console with these cool tools that I've written. I'm like, it's a good time. Well, I like too that like even though it is console, like you can still use your mouse in in that one, and that's that's cool too. Like sometimes I forget that I have to, you know, I can go through and space, space, space and select my options. I can just click, click, click. So yeah. Great shout out. Awesome. <laughs> Links to everything he mentioned will be in the show notes. Um, now the final question, what did you screw up in your career and what could you have learned from it? <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> one of those. All right. It was probably 2018. And I had already done, I, I was, I was, comfortable with PowerShell at that point, right? And I regularly was having to get into users' mailboxes and like I, I just wanted to delete spam. Like spam makes it through our filters. I want to delete it, right? Before users even see it, that sort of thing. I came across a, a single script that would read through all the all your users mailboxes and you know you could identify a single user and, and delete a, a single um, message with this specific subject or all users with this specific subject or you know that sort of thing I and it came from Microsoft or so at least on on a site that they own so I was like oh this has got to be safe so I woke up a Monday morning and I saw a crappy spam message. It was a phishing message and it had been sent to every single person in, in the company. I'm like, cool. I got the tool. Let's go do the tool. You know, and I'm from home. I load it up and I choose the right options and I type in the subject name. And um, the subject name ended with a period or the subject ended with a period. And then it also... I was like, I just want to catch everything. So I'm going to put a star there at the end too. Not understanding what regex was and what dot star means. <laughs> and so I did that from home and then I drove into work. And by the time I had gotten to work, I had a couple of voicemails and it was like, hey, I just uh, tried to look at my email and I have no messages in my inbox. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. And by about the fourth one that I got, I was like, oh no, what, what did I do? And I flipped back over to my PowerShell window and it's still chugging along. Like before, if I was deleting a single message from every single mailbox, it was over in like, you know, two minutes or whatever. Like it wasn't, wasn't, you know, wasn't long. And I'm like, oh no, what did I do? And because of that wild card, it was deleting every single email out of every single mailbox. <laughs> and so uh, I immediately stop it, of course. And thankfully, thankfully, it had started with the newest created users and deleting from their mailboxes and moving through, right? So luckily, most of our, we had just started, like it was a summer time. We had just hired a bunch of pool workers. Who didn't get email so they thankfully like 
oh, I lost, you know, my sign up email or whatever. No big deal. And I had, by the time it was probably 10 a.m. or so, I rolled around and I decided I can restore. We can restore people's emails back to 2 a.m. or whatever the last time was that the backup took effect. Did that. Everybody was happy. You know, yeah, the one person that was a, a power user had lost everything from two until 10. Everybody else is like, no big deal. Cool. I move on with my day. <laughs> and then about 10 o'clock that night, my phone rings from my municipal administrator, who was the one of the few people that I let through my do not disturb. You know, you let the boss's boss's boss let through the do not disturb. And I answer and like, hey, Lori, what's going on? She's <laughs> like, so tell me about the the hack. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, we got hacked today. And uh, the local news is calling me about it and want to know what the details are. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was, and I started like laughing on the phone, right? And and she's like, what? Are you, what's going on? I'm like, the hack was me. I was the idiot who didn't understand how to, how to properly remove this single message from everybody's mailbox. And she's like, so there was no incident? I'm like, no, if there was an incident, you would have known like immediately when this happened. No, there was nothing. It was just me being a dummy. She's like, oh, thank God. So, man. So, yeah, that was almost, I was almost the 11 o'clock news that night. And um, yeah, thankfully, no major blowback. Jeez, it's still stressful. I'm clenching up over here on my tippy toes. I had a similar issue. Yeah. Yeah. Similar where I wrote like some tools to find spam messaging and get rid of them or whatever and provide them to my team. And he ran it on our CFO's mailbox with a wild star and took, deleted all of our emails, really just moved them to a different mailbox, which we got to recover. But it was scary because it was like, where on earth did all of her email go? And I had to like look through the logs and see that, oh, someone moved them and figure out the whole situation. It was, those are always fun. <laughs> email is an important thing, some people say. It is wild how much email uh, is, oof. Yeah, I, email is amazing in that it will continue to try to deliver forever and terrible in that there is so little security built in. <laughs> oh, oh. Man. But I'll tell you what, learning exchange. There's there's a skill set. I've I've debated, I've debated standing up an exchange server at my house. So that's that's where I'm at. Just say. Oh, so here's <laughs> what I heard about exchange. I heard that the only people who know enough about exchange to secure it work at Microsoft. Probably true. It's probably That's, true. Who knows? Who knows? I just want a good calendar. That's all. Right? Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, thank you so much for chatting, man. It's been a pleasure. Time flew by. It was great. Yeah. I know we were both a little bit nervous before we hit live, but I think this turned out into a great one. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening out there. Hit us up with a like, comment, subscribe. You can join us on the PDQ Discord, discord.gg slash PDQ, PowerShell Scripting Channel. Yo, what's up? Shout out to everybody in there. Shout out to all the Discord friends out there. If you have feedback, questions, whatever, PowerShell at PDQ.com, send it. I'll read it. And if it's appropriate, I might read it on air. Woohoo. You can find us on X at PowerShell Pod. I'm Andrew Plotek on socials and Andrew Plot on LinkedIn. Jake. 
Dude, great getting to meet you. This is our first time chatting. It's always fun whenever I do these and get to make a new friend. But where can I and others on the World Wide Web keep track of you and what you're up to? Uh, easiest way is to go to uh, Twitter and look at look for dot 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 horse. That's dot 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 horse. I've got some links to some other places there. I don't actually interact on Twitter, but uh, it's easiest still because that's where Infosec Twitter lives. Um, I'm on Infosec Exchange uh, as Horse, uh, LinkedIn as Jake Hildreth. That's probably where I'm the most most active. Um, and then, yeah, try Mark Jake on on GitHub. Uh, we are always accepting PRs for Locksmith. Um, there's another tool that I have, which is called Blue Tuxedo, which uh, is like Locksmith, but for Active Directory integrated DNS. So finding and fixing your problems. Um, yeah, any of those. And uh, yeah, come grab me or or any conferences that are coming up. Uh, I'll be speaking at um, B-Sides Charm and B-Sides 312 and the EdTech one that I think is private. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jake. I hope you have a great rest of your day and everyone out there who drive and chill and listen to us. Have a great day as well. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick.